0: You're tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Hello and welcome to the program. Is your life a little stale? Would you like to be really happy? If you thought yes to either of those questions, too embarrassed to even say it out loud, let me assure you, you're not alone. We're wealthier but sadder than generations before us, so what are we doing wrong? Tonight we join Dr. Corbett as he concludes a series of discussions he's titled A Journey Through the Psalms as he seeks to discover the keys to enriching your life. Tonight, Dr. Corbett poses the question, how would you handle meeting God?
1: Please turn to Psalm 16, verse 11. We're going to hold it just there, and then we're going to pray. We're going to invite God to speak to us. I think there are people here today who, who are caught up in the irony of the season. This is an ironic season. It's a season where the whole world is stopping to celebrate what has now become the birth of the saviour of the world. And yet for us, it's become an increasingly, uh, increasingly it's a time of distraction. It's a time where we're being caught up in all the stuff associated with it and we're actually forgetting the reason for the season. Psalm 16 verse 11 has this profound verse. And, And as we, you know, live out our life, and as we as we seek to live a life that 's going to have some purpose and meaning and feel like we 're living a life of value we, we all want some somewhere somehow deep down to be happy, to be so content that we we're kind of we 're just so at peace that 's what we want, and yet so often we, we do things that are against the very thing that are going to bring that. And uh, as it says in in, uh, The Magician's Nephew, which is the first in the Chronicles of Narnia series, when Aslan, the great lion representing Jesus Christ, looks at the magician who's got a, a dark heart and the magician can only hear the lion roar, he can't hear Aslan talk or sing. He says, with a a tear forming in his eyes, he looks at this magician. He says, Oh, sons of Adam, how you so readily dismiss and reject the very thing that you're looking for. And it's an an amazing scene that C.S. Lewis is portraying, that people will actually be confronted with the very thing they're looking for and yet dismiss it or reject it. And today, as we're in the presence of God, in the presence of His Word, this is not just a book. This is His Word, which in a mystical way is able to take the very thoughts of God and make them real in your heart and mind. I saw a documentary recently called E equals MC squared and I've never really understood Einstein's theory of relativity but I gained perhaps a a step in the direction of understanding it when Einstein concluded that that there was one thing that's constant in all the world. One thing, only one thing, he said, is constant. Never, ever, ever changes and that's the speed of light. And he's right, the speed of light, despite what some people have claimed, is not slowing down, it is constant. Now, he said, what happens if you can have enough energy to get up to the speed of light? Imagine you're travelling in a, uh, let's take for example, a Ford XR8 Turbo and by some mechanism, you've got that car, which is obviously still in third, whizzing past the the Commodore SS, to, to, to reach the speed of light, it reaches the speed of light, then changes into fourth. Now, according to Einstein, there is nothing faster than the speed of light, and that's supposedly true too. Nothing faster, speed of light. What happens when you actually put more power into that thing when you've actually achieved maximum speed? What, what happens to the extra power? And what Einstein discovered was that it actually increases what he called the, the mass of the vehicle, the weight of the vehicle, the mass of the vehicle increases. So to Einstein, there's only three essential things in all the universe. One is the energy, that's the throttle, to the power, the energy. And then you've got the, the mass, the weight of the vehicle, and then the speed of light, which is C. So E equals MC squared. But you know, I heard last night, Kim and I were watching a, a video called Unlocking the Mysteries of Life, and they've now discovered that Einstein completely missed one component, there's one component that Einstein didn't even know about and he's missed it and it it brings his theory of E equals MC squared into total jeopardy. It's the letter I. I for information. You see, Einstein's theory says that put enough energy into the universe, it'll eventually create life. All matter or mass comes from some energy. He was wrong. He was absolutely wrong. What is needed for life is information. And now they know in the smallest the smallest of cells there's more information than an entire 27 sets of Encyclopedia Britannica. Huge amounts of information. That's what creates life. And when we talk about the Word of God, we're talking about that I, the information. You know the information you need to live life well? is all in here. It's here. Psalm 16 verse 11 says this. You make known to me... The path of life. You want to know how to live? You want to know what path you should live your life on? It's this one here. You make known to me the path of life. Look look at this. In your presence there is fullness of joy. You want that peace, that joy, that happiness? It's from knowing God. It's from walking the path that God's got for you. It says at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. No matter what pleasure you've experienced in this lifetime, there are pleasures that you haven't even imagined from simply walking with God. Walking with God. How can we enrich our life? Let me ask you the question. If that be the case, if walking a path, if walking a path with God, the path of life, is going to bring you joy like you've never known before, pleasure like you've never known before. Here's the question. How would you handle meeting God? You ever met somebody who said to you, I'll believe him, I'll believe in God. If he stands right in front of me, then I'll believe. You ever met anybody like that? I just, Whenever I hear things like that, I just kind of take a step back just in case God does. Man, You know, once again, from the Chronicles of Narnia, there's that conversation where, between Mr. Beaver and, and Lucy and the children. And, 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 and Mr. Beaver's talking about Aslan, the one who represents Christ, the great lion. And, and Lucy says, is he safe? And the reply, as he chokes on his whatever he's eating, safe? Aslan's safe? Oh, goodness me, he's not safe. And God's not safe. I've discovered that God is not safe. Have you discovered that? I've discovered that he's the scariest person in the universe. You don't trifle with this God. Now, some people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how how do you know that? How can you know that? Okay, here's the invitation as we're going to see. Meet with him. Meet with him. Meet with God. Meet with God. Yep, meet with God. Would you like to? You know, when we think about the Psalms, these, these songs in the middle of our Bible, Psalms are, essentially means prayers sung to God. That's what Psalms are. There's 150 of them. The, the whole thing's divided into five separate books within this book. The five books of the Psalms written by perhaps over a dozen different authors written over a period of um, uh, around about 600 years or so. And and when we look at everything they said, it's exactly the same. It's as if they've all gone into the same room, met the same God, all come out and said the same thing. Isn't that awesome? It is awesome. I mean, these guys don't come out with a flippant attitude and, well, I think he was kind of like, no, they come out, man, God is awesome. He's awesome. I think it was the King James translators at the time, around about 1600 or so, when they were translating uh, Psalm 46. Now, this is amazing. At Psalm 46, and uh, around about 1600, Shakespeare was becoming, you know, a really famous playwright. And one of the psalmists noted as, as Shakespeare was playing with. All kinds of lewd and crude and perhaps vulgar themes that today we think is classic literature, which is pretty amazing. He he, the, the, the translator of Psalm 46 was was perhaps thinking about Shakespeare on Shakespeare's 46th birthday, and he noted the 46th word in Psalm 46 is "shake." Thought oh, that's curious. Then he noted the 46th word from the end of the 46th psalm is spear. And the whole psalm talks about people who live their own life and don't acknowledge God, even though God has made himself known to them. Now, I don't know if Shakespeare ever did give his life to Christ, but boy, oh boy, wouldn't that be an amazing piece of trivia if you got that on your 46th birthday, that your name was embedded in the 46th Psalm? Well, these psalmists, they wrote about how to, how to find God, how to know God, how to live with God, and they all said the same thing. If you do, your life will be different. And it will be different in a way that they call, in Psalm 1, blessed, happy, and to be envied. That's a great kind of life, a blessed life, a happy life. It seems that the psalmists talk about in these psalms the kind of life that gives you the resilience you need to live life. Who knows that when you live life, there is the law of opposition. The law of opposition. You will meet opposition in your life. You will have challenges that you have to overcome. The question is, how will you do it? How will you do it? And the Psalms talk about how you can do it. Now, I'd like you to turn to Psalm 43. Psalm 43, we're going to essentially look at two verses here. And I'm, I'm letting this question linger in the air. How would you handle meeting God? How would you handle meeting God? I want want people to understand that coming to Christ, becoming a Christian, is an event. It's something that happens. The Bible calls it conversion. The Bible calls it being saved. The Bible also calls it being transformed. It says you can be transformed from darkness to light. You can be translated from darkness to light. It's like saying you can be dead and made alive. It's that different. Someone who's not a Christian to someone who's a Christian, it's an event. But you know what? It's more than an event. It's a life. It's a walk. It's a journey with God. And here we find somebody who's seasoned in their walk with God. This psalmist has been walking with God for years. And we find this psalmist writing this prayer. And and it says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Verse 4, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God. What's going on here? We've got a psalmist who has known God and because of something happening, and we get a clue in the first part of the psalm, something happened where he now isn't in the same room as God. He's not with God anymore. He doesn't feel God anymore. He doesn't, he doesn't experience God like he used to. You know, that can happen. That can happen. And there are some listening to me right now, and that's your story. If I was to ask you, tell me about your latest experience with God. For some of you, it begins, well, 20 years ago, dot, dot, dot. And while that's great, if that's your latest experience with God, We've got a problem. The psalmist knew he had a problem. The psalmist could see at the start of the psalm that he'd been up against opposition. You see, it says in verse 1 that ungodly people had attacked him. It says that they were deceitful and they were unjust. And immediately, this psalmist felt, in the midst of the challenges, the opposition and the attack that he was under, Things have changed. His life had changed. And he's saying, not for the better. Something's changed. And I don't like the way it's changed. And he even says at the end of verse 2, or in the middle of verse 2, it feels like God, even you've rejected me. And so now he stops. He puts the brakes on. You know, there are many people who perhaps sin. They fall, they stumble, they make a mistake and the enemy gets into their thinking and the enemy says, well, you might as well enjoy this for a season. You've sinned, you've blown it, you've, you've fallen now, might as well keep going. Can I tell you that's enemy thinking? That's not godly thinking. And this godly man stops. He stops. And he turns back to God. You know what that's called in Bible language? That's called repentance. If I was to say to you as a mature Christian, one who's been following the Lord, one who, you know, your point of salvation is a distant memory off in the past. And you you come to me and say, you know, I just feel like my walk with God's gone cold. I feel like, you know, I just, I've been doing a few compromising things I shouldn't have really been doing. I just haven't been getting into the word like I should. I haven't been really praying like I should. In fact, I've been thinking really bad things. I've been doing some things I shouldn't have really done. And I said to you, I think you need to repent. How many of us would think, oh, he's judging me. Repent. Why do we recoil at that word repent? When it simply means you need to stop. You need to stop that. And you need to turn around and come home. Repent. Stop and turn around. That word repent should almost be like music to our ears. It should, be, it should be like a symphony to our soul to hear that God will even accept us when we repent, when we stop and turn around. Look at what this psalmist was praying for when he was prepared to stop. He prays this, send forth your truth and your light, or send forth your light and your truth. See the next verse, the next verse, the psalmist is now encouraging himself to come back fully to God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God? For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You ever been there? you ever been in that place where you just know you shouldn't be? you ever got to that place in your life where you're somewhere and you think, how on earth did I get here? And for some, they don't understand that there's a magic wardrobe, that they can come back to God. For some, they don't understand that there's that magic wardrobe called repentance. It can take you out of your situation and translate you back into a right place called the path of life. Repent. And so he encourages himself, this psalmist says, Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you within, Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This psalmist knew how to meet with God. Here's my question to you. Do you? Do you know how to meet with God? What if somebody says to you this week, Do you believe in God? And you say, yes, I do. And they say, have you ever met him? What's your response going to be? What's your response going to be? I want every one of us, and this is my prayer for you, that every one of us can say, met him. I was just talking with him. Yes, I've met him. And if they ask the question, how or what's he like? You can answer it. I want every boy, every girl in this church to know how to meet with God. I want every man, every woman to know how to meet with God and to do it, to meet with Him. I want to meet with Him. You know, there are times in my life where just the, the, the busyness of life just floods me. Just, I, I just feel like I'm drowning in it. And I've just got to stop. I've got to stop and I've just got to get away. And for me, it, it, it's, there are things that I do to meet with God. Just to meet with God. Just to go for a walk and pour out my heart to Him and tell Him where I'm really at. And essentially that's what the Psalms are all about. That's what people are doing here. They're telling God where they're really, really at. How do you meet with God? How can we meet with God? You know, um, I think there are some keys to it. They include this. Psalm 9 and verse 10 says that we must have a seeking heart do you want to meet with god psalm 9 verse 10 and those who know your name put their trust in you for you O lord have not forsaken those who seek you if you seek god and jesus said this jesus said seek and you will find do you want to know god begin to seek him secondly We need to understand that God is actually looking for people to seek him. God is wanting people to seek him. He's wanting to be found. It says in Psalm 53 verse 2, God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, to see if there are any who seek after God. God is seeking people to seek him. God wants to meet with us. I want to meet with him. I want to really know this God. I'm not interested in being religious. I want to know him. I want to meet with him. I want to square someone in the face, look them in the eye and say, I know him. I've met with him. I know him. And you can know him too. We must have a humble heart. A heart that comes with no agenda. A heart that says, God, I don't know how to do this, but I want to meet with you. A humble heart. Psalm 25 verse 9 says, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Do you want God to teach you his way? I do. It it requires that we've got to be humble, teachable, open, correctable. We've got to be humble to meet with God. And yet there are some people who pretend that they know God. And when they go to try and meet with Him, their hearts are a million miles away from God. When they come into a worship service, they don't worship. They're doing something else. I don't know what they're doing. I don't want to know what they're doing. What hinders us from really knowing God? What hinders us from really meeting with God? The psalmist's have a whole list of things that will hinder us from really meeting with God. And they fall into these general categories. Pride. You know, if your heart's proud, if you think you've cut a one-off, special, unique deal with God that's just between you and God and it's just a very special, custom-made deal between you and God and no one else has anything like what you've got from God, can I tell you, you're kidding yourself. That's arrogance, that's conceit, that's pride. It doesn't work like that. We have to find out his ways, not get him to do a deal to accept our ways. Distraction. Sometimes it's so easy to get distracted and and I don't want to scare you, but if you have a look at what the Psalms say about forgetting God, you will think, You will think all kinds of thoughts when you read that in the Psalms. I think it's about Psalm 50 where it talks about what happens when you forget God. But it's possible to forget God. It's possible to be so caught up with distractions that you forget God. It's possible to come to church on a Sunday, to come to church through the week in in our cell groups and have so many things distracting us that we just don't still ourselves like it says in Psalm 46 verse 10 and just know that he's God. We can get so distracted with what should be happening in our lives and so on. And the Psalms also say that people who are essentially fools will not be able to meet with God. And it says really there's only one type of fool and that's the person who adamantly plays and pretends and says there is no God. And as we read in the Chronicles of Narnia, the magician's nephew, we find that the magician, the one with the dark heart, had to try very, very hard to imagine that he wasn't hearing what he was actually hearing. And it says, C.S. Lewis puts it this way, the problem with trying to make yourself stupider than you actually are is that you very often succeed. Psalm 14 verse 1, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. It is actually a foolish thing to do to try and convince yourself There is no God. And if you live like that, you won't be able to meet with him. It requires an openness of heart and an openness of mind. And I think God's done something to enable us to meet with him. What has God done? He's given us his word. This is not just a book. This is information. This is more powerful than DNA. This is information that God has given us so that we can meet with him. Psalm 119 talks about that. What has God done so that we can meet with him? He's removed the barrier that's between us and him and that barrier is called sin. Have you ever made a mistake? That's a silly question. We've all made mistakes. We've all done things we regret. You know, there are times when I just flinch, when I I just have a flashback of what I was like in the past. And and I I just wish I could go back into a time machine. And you know, the psalmist said that as well. Oh, that I had the wings of a bird that I could fly away. I wish I could go back in a time machine and just undo all the stupid things I did in my past. Just take those words as they come out of my mouth in the past and shove them back in or just make sure there was a sonic boom simultaneously to some of the things I said in the past so people didn't hear them. But you know, I can't do that. And you know, while people might harbour those memories of my foolishness and my stupidity till the day they die and the day I die, it's possible that before God, those things can be erased. And I've got to tell you, that's awesome. Let me tell you a little story about King David. You all know it. But King David was somebody who did the wrong thing. And he knew it. And he fell into the trap of thinking that, well, I've done the wrong thing. I might as well keep going and really tidy this up by doing a couple more wrongs. So his sexual sin became murder. His murder became deceit. His deceit became adultery and so on. So he's then convicted of his mistakes. He's confronted with it and he can handle it no longer. You know, fortunately for David, he didn't live during the age where there was you know, rampant uh, high-octane alcohol or, or drugs or whatever because I reckon he would have shot himself to the eyeballs just to try and numb the pain, but he didn't. His heart was open to God and he said, yes, I'm guilty. Now what do I do? And it was revealed to him that if he would come and ask God for forgiveness, which takes humility, he would be forgiven. In Psalm 51, we read David's prayer of asking for forgiveness. Cast me not away from your presence, O God. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Then when I am restored, I will lead and I will see sinners converted to you. It says in Psalm 51. Wash me, purify me, cleanse me, he said. And then something happened. He experienced the forgiveness of God. He experienced it. In his soul, he experienced it. And he wrote Psalm 32. And if you read Psalm 32, you have a really close look. You know that the writing's all jittery because when he wrote it, he was dancing. Oh, the joy! of knowing that your sins are forgiven. oh, And no one could explain it to him before he'd experienced it. And I dare say even Psalm 32 is not the best way he could have experienced it because he experienced it. And I've got to tell you, you can experience sins forgiven, past, healed and restored by coming to God and being put back on the path of life. This is what God has done for us. God also has extended to us an invitation. Let's bring this to a close. What is experiencing God really like? I want to pose this question to you again. Have you experienced God? When was the last time you experienced God? When was the last time you knew? God has just entered into your presence. You are now in his presence. What is it like? It says in Psalm 32 that there's great joy that comes with it. Because there's the joy of being forgiven. The joy of being forgiven. You know, we think of that scene where Jesus was at the, the, the house of Simon, the religious leader. And Simon was there and Simon didn't even touch Jesus because Jesus had just been with sinners And as Jesus sat there at that Middle Eastern banquet, you know, they didn't have chairs and tables like we do. They just have the cushions to put your your elbow on. A lady walked in who was a lady of reputation. She was a prostitute. She walked in. and, And this lady, whose name was Mary, walked in. And she began to weep. Weep. We we maybe, maybe it was the same Mary who just moments earlier, had been saved by Jesus from being stoned. Maybe it was Mary realizing what had happened that morning because she was dragged out of an adulterous bed that morning in the broad daylight in the morning, dragged out naked in front of the into the public square, ready to be stoned for her sin, that Jesus protected her. And challenged those who were judging her, whether they were really worthy to judge. And and then as they disappeared, he then spoke to her, Your sins are forgiven. I, I don't know if you've ever felt the impact of those words. Have you ever heard God say that to you? Have you ever felt the impact of the Spirit of God taking those words and making them real to you? She did that moment as he probably took a cloak and put it around her and said, now go, and don't keep living the way you're living. Go." He put it this way, go and sin no more. Perhaps later that night she found out where Jesus was, at the home of Simon, and she came in and she just knelt and she just wept and wept and wept. And as she wept on the feet of Jesus, those dusty, dirty feet, she began to wash his feet with her tears. That's a lot of tears. She poured that ointment on him. The fragrance filled the room. And of course, Simon didn't he didn't get it at all. And maybe if you've never experienced the joy of forgiveness, you don't get it either. You know, but with that comes what Psalm 51 describes as the joy of salvation. The joy of salvation. When you've met with God, you know the joy of forgiveness. You know the joy of salvation and psalm 119 talks about the joy of hearing god's word and psalm 4 talks about the joy of being able to pray to god the joy of being able to pray to god those are the things that are put into your soul when you meet with god now before we pray i just want to i want to give you an insight How can you spot those who've met with God? How can you tell if somebody's met with God? I think that scene with that woman wiping the feet of Jesus is a clue. Something changes on the inside, but how can you spot it? You know, as we finish up looking at the Psalms as as a journey through the Psalms, 150 chapters, 134 times they encourage us to praise God. 134 references to our need to praise God. How can you tell if someone's met with God? Their response is praise. How can you tell if somebody really knows God? You can tell because they can't help but praise Him. We might describe it as the worship of the wonderful. We are worshipping the wonderful, but we too are filled with wonder. And it's our worship, the worship of the wonderful. How can you tell if someone's really met with God? They worship him. And there's something about their worship. They've met with him. Can I just have eyes closed? Heads bowed right now. Perhaps, Perhaps you've never met with God. Perhaps you have met with God, but it's been, oh, such a long time since you have. I want to challenge you right now in as gentle a way as I can. And I include myself in this because I want to meet with God. I want what the psalmist wants, and that is to meet with God. So let me put this to you. Do you know God? Have you met with him? Do you know the joy of your sin forgiven? Do you know the joy of being taken from your life and put on the path of life? If you don't, and it's what you want, I'm going to pray for you right now. And this can mark a new beginning. This can mark the first day of the rest of your life. I don't care if you've given your life to Christ 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. We need to meet with God regularly. As we pray, let's pray from our heart. Oh God, we want to know you. We really want to know you. According to John chapter 1, Jesus is the light who's come into the world. He is the truth that you have sent to the world. Lord, your word says that if we're to know you, we must receive light and truth. We must see Jesus. Lord, right now, help me to see Jesus and to know Jesus right now. And Father, for everybody here, I pray that they might see Jesus and know Jesus.
0: So how would you handle meeting God? As Dr. Corbett has discussed over the past few weeks, the path to happiness is one that involves living in community with God. When your life's journey is aligned with God, happiness and fulfillment can be yours. If happiness is missing from your life, you need to ask yourself the question, Where is God in my life? Don't waste any time to welcome God into the very center of your life and begin to experience an enriching life journey. If you'd like to purchase a CD copy of tonight's program to listen again in your own time or to refer to a friend, you can do so for $5.50 including postage and handling. Finding Truth Matters resources are available from the website www.findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting Lagana Media at P.O. Box 1143 Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Just quote the programme title Journey Through the Psalms, Session 4. For a CD copy of the four part series for $20 including postage and handling, just request Journey Through the Psalms, the series. If you'd like to subscribe to Finding Truth Matters monthly e-newsletter perspectives, visit FindingTruthMatters.org and click subscribe. Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett is produced by Lagana Media. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.